Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your RV lifestyle digital home. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile RV studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Hello, this is Ken, your RV navigator. And Martha, the co-pilot. And we're talking to you from a studio very far from our home. We are on the high seas in our cruise cabin, having just enjoyed a bunch of fjords in Norway. And Ooh, yes. sailing south to enjoy a few more before our ultimate long sail back to Boston. 16 days to Boston. And we are uh, being very intimate this morning. Oh, we're going to let you in on a secret. Because we have <laughs> malfunctioning equipment. <laughs> Wait. That not, could be a not, double entendre, not, not, too. Not, not body equipment. <laughs> we seem to only have one microphone in our portable RV studio, our RV navigator studio, so we are having to use just a single microphone to record this and so we we're sitting very close together on our little cruise cabin couch and we have no printer so our the rv navigator notes are on a computer and we're doing the hard the hardships we have to make the rv navigator a monthly podcast so if you want to see where we are at any mm, given moment, yes. you can um, take advantage of Ken's use of the Track My Tour app. Yes. I hope that you guys have given this a try. Because it's very it's, cool. And it's so easy to do. Uh, it's a free, free app for Android and iPhone. It is uh, very easy to use. That's the really cool part about it, is, is that you just say, mark my waypoint, and it does. And you can take pictures and add uh, little comments about where you are, and it just tracks your trip. And when you click on the map, it puts all of the pictures on the map. And this is just extremely easy to do and fun, and it gives you a nice record because, as you will find over the years that your memory fades as to where you were. <laughs> we always go back and refer to these things because at our age, I guess... Well, we've been lucky to be a lot of places, too. and we. I know, but was it 2016 yeah. or was it 2015? And unfortunately, the last time we were in Norway, we weren't doing any electronic <laughs> tracking at all. So. so we think it was 1988 the last time we were on a cruise like this, but Which we just don't know. Which is kind of depressing know. when we talk to people because many of them were not born in 1988. Oh, the tour guide. Oh, I can remember before that glacier, when that glacier was way down at the seashore. Oh, dear. Glaciers recede dramatically over time. And yesterday we went to the Brookstall Glacier. It had receded, and they had pictures, and we said, oh, my, we were here in 1988, and it was way down here, and now it's way up there, so... I guess this is a sign of global uh, uh, no, uh, climate change. This is kind of making me digress from the notes. We, uh -oh. we ate lunch at the glacier yesterday with uh -huh. a couple who this was the first glacier they had ever seen, and they were quite impressed, and you and I were quite <laughs> unimpressed. So I would say in my recent memory, obviously Alaska is a wonderful place to see glaciers. Yes, there are many of so. them, yes. and even though they are receding too, and they are still in wonderful condition. 
and certainly the one we saw in Patagonia, whose name already escapes me, but I think we talked about it on some other podcast, uh, not only was enormous and still growing, but was very well laid out with a boardwalk where you could walk along the face for quite a distance. That one is very impressive in my memory. And more recently, on our way here, we stopped off in Iceland and spent a day um, looking at a glacier there. And even though I remember its name, there's no way I can pronounce it. It started with a J. But the coolest thing about that one was the fact that there was a lagoon that was had limited sea access so when the glacier when Can't. the iceberg f- fell off the glacier that they stayed in this lagoon so the lagoon was full of icebergs and we took a little cruise around and looked at the icebergs and stuff and that's really fascinating because you don't get to see a quantity of glacier of icebergs uh, at any time it's just very interesting. So I would say from our limited exposure to Norway, we've seen parts of the southern half, I would say. Uh, the glaciers are not as impressive as they used to be because the, they're all melting away. And when you talk to Ken and Martha about travel, we get jaded. Well, we're harder to impress. We're harder to impress, yes. And one thing that struck us was that the infrastructure in place here for seeing the Brickstall Glacier was very well done. Lots of parking, lots of restaurants. Lots um, of people. Lots of people came, but they had it laid out well so that you could move around and not get in each other's way. And what are they going to do when that glacier melts (laughs) away and you can't see it anymore and they have all that viewing stuff there? They'll have to show you the pictures. (laughs) And it's not going to be that much longer because it really was far up the valley. Uh, The glacier was a long way and you could not even come close to touching it or, or getting within a mile of it, I would say. Anyway, uh, it still is a world-class attraction, and that's how we kind of judge things these days. If it's a world-class attraction, we we really enjoy it, but a lot of uh, places that we go to, the attractions are nice, but not world-class. So, Norway, world-class. Yeah, I would and, say so. And the Granger Fjord, world-class. Definitely put on the top of your list. And a good place to see by cruise ship. One problem with Scandinavia in my book is that it's horribly expensive. It's very nice to have paid for the cruise up front and paid for our tours up front and have to buy absolutely nothing in addition because all of our needs are taken care of on the cruise ship because Scandinavia... Oh, pizza and a beer for sixty dollars. Just it's just out and of this, our and this range. kind of uh, brings up uh, the comparison between doing a land itinerary and doing a cruise, or doing a pre-planned uh, tour that you take with a company like OAT, who we've done with. So. What's the comparison to a cruise to land trip? Well, I think it depends on where you are. As I'm listening to you talk, I'm thinking about some cruises we've been on where, like, you would dock um, a two-hour drive from Paris or a three-hour drive from Berlin, and people would try to race in and quickly see that city and be totally frustrated. the pyramids. Um, Whereas in this kind of area and Alaska, cruising is the best way to see that area because you want to see it from the water and and watch the scenery go by. But we should say that there are lots of people doing RVing here. We saw numerous Europeans. RV and fairly large RVs. Yeah, we were surprised. We were surprised, yes. Um, so I guess renting an RV or knowing it's somebody with an RV. It's be expensive. Oh. Yes. One of the things that people think about, I think, is, is that cruises are expensive. We are spending about $250 a day per per, and that includes, though, entertainment, travel, food, Meals. and lodging. We just came off uh, the first 10 days of our trip 
was a self-planned itinerary where we took all of the details and put them together ourselves. And we spent more than that per day, easy. Again, trying to live moderately. Moderately, and having very reasonable meals or very (laughs) simple meals, but a sandwich in Iceland. We had a sandwich and... A drink. Is that all? We shared it. And that was $26. That was two pieces of bread and some salami. (laughs) Fortunately, the hotels had nice breakfast, so you could kind of get yourself going in the morning. And we docked the ship in Copenhagen, so we spent a night there before we got on board. And we stayed in a hotel room near the cruise port that was probably half the size of our cruise cabin, which we normally think of as on the small side. And it was close to $200 a night. wasn't fancy at all. Now... Cruising can be expensive and it can be cheap, depending on the itinerary and the demand. For instance, (laughs) it's very interesting at this cruise. We are doing what's called a B2B, back-to-back, which means we're doing this Norway cruise for eight days, and then we're sailing 16 days across the Atlantic uh, to Boston, which is, of course, a nice convenience because we'll be in Boston only a couple hours plane ride from home, and... The same ship, same cabin, services on the ship to be exactly the same for the both cruises. And I calculated this out. Our Copenhagen to Boston daily rate is $176 a day. But this part where we're doing a lot of ports is $244 a day. Quite a difference. (laughs) And that just means that it's supply and demand. We noticed that... This eight-day cruise that we're doing in Norway is a family cruise, and there are tons of uh, Europeans on board this ship, and the ship is fairly full, and it's uh, a popular itinerary with uh, all sorts of people. Whereas traveling across the Atlantic, we're going from Copenhagen to Boston with a few stops in there. We're doing that, and that's obviously a much less popular trip. So if you're interested in cruising... (laughs) and you're interested in cruising for a minimal rate, then you need to think about uh, doing a transatlantic or a repositioning cruise, shall I say, or one that's in the low season because we are going in January. We're going on the Harmony of the Seas, but in early January, and it's $100 a day, so $700 total for a week, which is a big bargain. Where can you find... A travel adventure that is a week for $700 that includes food, transportation, entertainment, room and board, you know, the whole shot. Your RV. Well, I have to, oh, I have to drive it. (laughs) (laughs) And you had to buy it in the first place. I had to buy it in the first place, right. (laughs) So I'm not sure how 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 cheap that that is. But a lot of people think that cruising is kind of a decadent or a... It's got lots of things that you're not going to use. And even if you don't go to all the 10 entertainment and things, it's still a decent bargain. And, of course, as we found out from all those uh, details that you have to work on, is there going to be somebody at the airport to meet you? How are you going to get from the airport to the hotel? How are you going to get around the next day? Where? How are you going to book your excursions? Which is why a lot of people use a travel agent or just take a tour. It's simpler. Right. But taking a tour is taxing also. Packing and unpacking the suitcase and all that sort of stuff. Here we, 24 days, and we don't unpack once. Well, we unpack once and then pack up once, and that's it. And we get to go to all these great destinations. So we are big fans of cruising. 
And another thing to think of, <laughs> especially if you are retired and have the time, is the pace That's... of a trip. It's been very hectic at the beginning of our trip when we, like you who are still working, were trying to see everything and do everything that we could while we were in an expensive part of the world, starting in New York City and then in Reykjavik in Iceland. And, and so we ran around from morning till night and were exhausted. Yes, and yes. we're very much appreciating this day we are having today where we are at sea, where we can take some time to talk to you and look at our pictures that we've taken and get ourselves ready for the next port that we'll be visiting tomorrow. So that's a very nice uh, aspect of cruising, and I would definitely consider it, especially if you have a group, because everybody can do different things and come together at dinner or for uh, some sort of cocktail hour in the afternoon and and all of those things are included and you don't have to worry about making a schedule other than getting back on the ship and well we enjoy travel and you may wonder if ken and martha have cruised very much and if you've listened to the podcast long you know that we have but if you'd like to see the 83 cruises that we have been on that you've been on he took me he took two cruises without (laughs) me would i do that ever (laughs) One was because he was a very good son, and he took his mom for her birthday, and I was still working. And the other one was just totally indolent. We won't talk about that. But if you'd like to see, we have a list of the 83 cruises that we've been on since 1973. So we have had some experience, and there's, there's been a lot of changes. Many of the ships that we took in the early part of the list have been deep-sixed and are no longer in business. Literally Or or the companies that that they were booked through. Yes. Let's see. Other things that we have done on this cruise, uh, actually on this trip, since we left, we spent the first few days in New York City. And because we've been lucky to be there many times, we didn't do the the typical things that you do when you go to New York for the first time, like go to the Statue of Liberty or things like that. Um, but we would recommend the new one number one World Trade Center, which has been open about a year and has a fabulous uh, viewing area at the top of the building with a nice, fast elevator and well-organized. didn't take long to get up there, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And on a clear day, which we had, you could see all the way to Pennsylvania, which is pretty impressive. But it was very hot in New York, and I'm sure many of you are experiencing the heat that has uh, swept the country in the last part of August. But uh, we get here to Norway, by the way, and Iceland, and it's nice and chilly. It rarely gets above 60, so uh, that's been a a big switch. But New York was uh, a, a very interesting experience, and actually the whole beginning part of the trip was very interesting because unlike other years, I have used almost no cash. Is that an interesting innovation? We have not cashed money into foreign currency. We have not, I don't even have any kroner in my wallet, but yet we go around and do everything because everything these days can be done with a credit card. It's amazing. Even the smallest transaction. To be fair, you're in Scandinavia, which is a modern, um, high-tech part of the world. Mm. That would not necessarily be the case everywhere. But to me, what's most impressive is when we've taken a cab, that we can use a credit card even in the cab, and the guy has a little printer which prints out the doodad that you have to sign. So they're very much set up for credit cards, and it saves you so much time. And when you are traveling internationally, you're never sure how much money to exchange. And there are times when it's hard to get money, although certainly with ATMs, that's got easier than it used to be, but um, being a cashless society, I think, is the way the world is going. I, I know, but it's just amazing the transition that I, <laughs> I we usually have cash from 
the various countries just to, to get to the hotel from the airport or whatever it happens to be. But as you say, Uber just does automatically. There's no cash even accepted. And in the uh, cabs that we've been in, they have uh, credit card machines. So why bother to, to charge it, especially now that we have a credit card that <laughs> doesn't charge us 3% for foreign Currency transaction. Currency conversion. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Another little, oh, a little rant could come on there, but I think... <clears throat> I'll resist that one. Uh, we've also noticed a huge increase in Wi-Fi. We have to make the, the statement again for everybody to understand. Because you see a Wi-Fi signal does not mean you have Internet. Is that? <laughs> and certainly in the hotels, we have had very good experiences with nice, fast Wi-Fi that worked up to our high standards. And I would say on the cruise ship, it's better than it used to be. But that's not necessarily saying a whole lot. And when we are done talking to you today and we try <laughs> to send our thoughts and sentences out into the ether, it could be an exciting experience. Yes, but the cruise ship used to charge by the minute. And we would buy a 500-minute package for $200 or so. And now we have an unlimited package on a, on a daily basis for about $10 a day. What that, 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 that's that's a huge change. Plus, they have renovated the internet connection so that it is with low Earth satellites and is much faster than it used to be. And but of not fast. And of course, when you were paying by the minute and it was painfully slow, that made it doubly painful to exactly. even contemplate exactly. the internet. We're now when it's uh, when we have it twenty four seven. Our biggest problem is fighting with each other about who gets to be on and who has to Although get. Although of course they will sell you a second oh, for I'm a discount, sure a second <laughs> device. But we just bought you get one device at any given moment. But the satellite connection is better, and they sell actually two levels of service. We, of course, went for the cheaper service, but they have a streaming service, which they say you can stream. It's up to the task. We have not uh, tried that. So if you want to do YouTube or Facebook, Skype, then that would be an option, too, apparently. I don't know. sounds uh, very strange to me that this would even be an option on a cruise ship because here we are out in the middle of the Atlantic, and uh, the Internet isn't bad. It does, of course, go in and out when you're in a fjord when you don't get any satellites, but other than that. We should also mention that um, this cruise ship has been very nice in terms of the cap its capabilities to, to be very smooth. Uh, you think of the North Atlantic as something which is rocky and lots of motion, but this up the Norway coast has been extremely smooth, kind of like the Inland Passage in, in Alaska. So nobody is even thinking about being seasick. I have not even felt the ship move. Even when we dock, you, you open uh, the window up in the morning. We're and surprised <laughs> to find out we're already <laughs> there, we there. And we didn't feel any bumps or any, any sort of uh, wave action or anything. So cruising uh, is a good option for you and your family if you are uh, interested in traveling to interesting destinations. And we're looking at booking another one because they give you a good deal while you're on board. One thing I'm wondering if the cruise people will ever take on is something that we kind of appreciated when we were in New York City, and that is the fact that it's the law there now ah. that every menu <laughs> put the oh. calorie count of oh. all of the items that they have for you to purchase. And while this is a depressing piece of information, <laughs> we oh. found it to be quite useful uh, when we were ordering well, because uh, in particular... I don't know. Useful? In particular, when you think about, well, I'll just have a salad. I'm on vacation. I don't want to think about calories. And then you see how much a salad really is. Uh. 
um, you you were better off ordering the meat and the mashed potatoes. So it it's, it was a very interesting experience to me because I learned more about how many calories are in things. So <sighs> we've been on cruises. This one doesn't have that, where they will have a specially designated lighter fare yeah, option. Um, so I'm wondering if someday the cruise cruise people will also put the calories on. I don't think so. I don't. Th- not <laughs> unless they're forced to, and who's going to force them to do it? Yeah. Apparently, the state of New York or the city of New York, I'm city. not sure which, city, city has happen. required this, and every place, McDonald's and every place else that you go into, next to the entree or the the item on the menu is the calories. And I, I, oh, I hate to count the calories, but when I look at it, I say, those two things are almost the same, but the calories are twice as many. I go with the lesser one. Is that you, smart? And when you think about that you've been on 83 cruises, it kind of lets you know why you look, pounds. look the way you look. <laughs> one pound per cruise. Okay, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Enough talking about calories. This is an RV show. It's okay. time to talk about RVing. Okay. And we do have some interesting RV topics today, which... Uh, we are prompted by some listener email. Well, before we get to that, though, I wanted to mention that uh, last month we talked about the warranty comparison that Mike, our friend Mike, made, and that is still available on our website. So if you'd like to download it, this is the extended warranty companies that you might buy from, and they are, he made a very nice comparison chart so that you can see what they cover, because the contracts that you read are very confusing and they're very difficult to make direct comparisons, and so what he's done is made direct comparisons between three companies that offer extended warranties, and lets you look and see which is the best one for you. No recommendations, but uh, just a comparison. So if you'd like to look at that, uh, take a look at the website, and we will uh, give you the download. One question that we get fairly often and is very difficult to answer because there's so many complex factors involved is what size RV should I buy? And we got kind of an interesting email from a listener who uh, was comparing two different road trucks, the latest being a popular 2100, and uh, which was on a Chevy chassis. He said, we liked it a lot, but we liked the Via a lot more for a couple of reasons. The Via, while a Class A diesel, is only about a foot wider, longer, and higher than the gasoline 2100 Class B. Both units cost about the same. Even though the Via is heavier, it gets about the same mileage, perhaps half a mile per gallon better than the Road Trek got, probably due to the more efficient diesel engine. The Via has much more storage space than the Road Trek, even the largest and newest of the Road Trucks, which are built on the Mercedes Sprinter chassis, like the Via is. The Via has more room inside, too, thanks to the slide-out. We can pretty much take our Via on the same road boondocking places we used to take our road truck, and it's one of the reasons why we got the Via instead of a larger Class A. It depends on the camping style one wants, as Ken pointed out in his interview with Mike, but we found a road truck to be a bit snug for the two of us and our dog. With the Via, the living is quite a bit more gracious, with a larger shower, a larger living room area, and slightly larger kitchen area. For what it's oh okay then I'm going to stop there. So this is a very interesting idea. What and and I and and this is from Frank in Dexter, Michigan. The question is, we can't decide what type of RV to buy. Large or small. Large or small. And they're thinking about going full timing. And this is uh, Frank. And you know, of course, that we are kind of. And he's also worried about that a large rig will limit the kinds of campgrounds he can go into. Right. And my sense is is that. It depends on how you like to travel. 
<laughs> and I, I really think this is the fundamental difference. We are people, and whether we go on suitcase trips or whether we go on RV trips, we do hub and spoke. Almost always. Which means we like to put our RV in a nice place and leave it there and go out with our small car and explore. Or we get a hotel for four or five nights and we go out and explore from there. So we are hub and spoke people. There are a number of people who use a different approach and that is where you go from place Place to to place place every, every day. We don't like to do that with the RV or in a hotel. So if you are a person who goes place to place to place, then campgrounds are always critical and you have to find one every night to stay in and you will be in some kind of lonely places where there might not be the kinds of campgrounds that would accommodate a large rv we know that if we go to a national park that close by within the hub and spoke system close by will be a nice rv park that we can park our large rv in And from there, we take our car and drive out and do things within 50 or 60 miles of that location. So even though there might be campgrounds within that national park that our um, 43-foot Class A motorhome won't fit in, it certainly doesn't mean that we can't go to that national park and enjoy everything that it has to offer. We park our motorhome outside the park or in a commercial campground and then just drive in with the car. So don't feel like it limits you too much to have a large rig. And certainly for a full-timing person, I would say the more space you have, you just live more comfortably, as as the listener whose email I just read pointed out. It's more gracious living. Whereas when you have the B, you're going to go from place to place, and every night you're going to pull in at 4 or 5 o'clock, and that's going to be your stop for that night. Whereas with us, um, we will drive and maybe get home at 6 or 7 or 8 o'clock. We don't care because the our place is there, whereas if you're in a Class B, you have to be at that campground, uh, at that new campground every night at some sort of reasonable hour or else you're not going to get a campsite. Now, when we went to uh, Yellowstone National Park, the one of the most popular national parks in the United States, certainly, we started in the Tetons. We camped there a couple nights, and then we went to the campground that was in the middle of the between the Tetons and Yellowstone, and that was a national park. We got in there for with no trouble, and then we went to another. We stayed there for two or three nights, and then we went up to the north end of Yellowstone. We just drove directly up there, parked our RV, and got in the car and drove around Yellowstone on the north end. So I, to us, that makes a lot of sense. I don't know. Now, we do have a friend who has a much smaller rig than we do that really loves to get in the middle of the woods in the National Forest campgrounds, and he seeks solitude in nature. He stays in campgrounds that we probably couldn't fit into, but we don't really want to, to do that us, very yeah, much. Yeah. Um, my need for relaxation and solitude has lessened considerably <laughs> since I quit working because I'm already relaxed from being calm at home before we start off on a trip. So it might also depend what stage of life you're in. Certainly, if you are a typical American working person who has limited vacation time, it's hard to justify spending a lot of money on a big rig that you can only use two weeks and a few holiday weekends throughout the year. That's a factor as well. Uh, We just got a nice email from Gary Lester. Um, He says he loves our podcast and he's retiring next May and is wondering whether he should get a tag axle or a single axle. And what's your feeling about that? I have no feelings about that. (laughs) But you've had both. 
I have no feelings about that. That's not really a question you should be asking. This is another question about the size of your rig. The only reason you need a tag is, is because you have a heavy rig. The tag is there to take extra weight on the rear axle. They had, uh, for a long time, there was a maximum weight of 20,000 pounds on, a, on an axle in the rear. And so that was manufacturers built longer rigs and with <laughs> fancy bathrooms and tile and marble countertops and all that sort of stuff in the back, they got heavy. So they have to add a tag, and that gives you several thousand pounds more carrying capacity. Unfortunately, the tag takes up space and has extra tires. I do and, have feelings about that. Yes, indeed. <laughs> and so as we have talked about, uh, the tag is um, a big expense. Um, so I would avoid it if you can. And now that they have 23,000-pound uh, axle require weights that you can carry, uh, the new vehicles won't have to have tags. Unfortunately, there is this misconception that tags offer stability. And having driven a 40-footer without a tag and the new 43-footer with a tag, I can't tell the difference between uh, either based on and the handling. tag and handling. So I would avoid a tag if I can, but if it's there, if you want to get a big rig. It used to be that anything over 40 feet had a tag just because of the weight. Uh, and any, So you could always just tell looking at a motorhome how long it was based on whether it had a tag or not. But uh, these days they're putting tags on 40-footers because people think that's that, that adds stability. But, in fact, that is a myth as far as I'm concerned. So I would not uh, consider a tag to be important. But if, you, if it needs to have a tag, it needs to have a tag if you need the, if you need the weight. It certainly doesn't detract from the from the drivability but it does add <laughs> two extra tires and a lot of extra components that take up a lot of space and add a lot of money to the overall price of your motorhome so i would not recommend that maybe we should talk about some rving things even though our minds are really not on rving much at the moment constant issue when you are planning a trip especially if you are limited in time and money and you want to be efficient about it is getting all the information you need to make a good plan and there are numerous um, aids and assists and apps out there streets and trips is kind of an old chestnut that people have used for many years and certainly google maps is getting to be an ever more powerful assist as well but we've read about a new one which is spelled f-u-r-k-o-t i'm going to call it furcot because yeah. i don't know how you really what I would call say. it and it's a free website. There's no mobile app, but the mobile website works fine on either an iPhone or an Android. Um, this app is not. This website is not specific to RVs. It's generally for cars and motorcycles who need to book motels along the way. But campgrounds are in it as well, and it's based on Google Maps, so all the data in Google is available. So we will post the website for you to take a look at Furcot and see if that's the best way to plan a trip for you. And at the same time, we want to recommend uh, about GPSs. Last month, I put into the on the webpage about uh, some GPSs that Consumer Reports recommends. But I do want to emphasize that you need to get a GPS that is RV friendly. And we use, of course, the Rand McNally, but there are lots of them. And one of the things that, that it has is low bridges. And I'm looking at a picture here, which is why I'm laughing. It says semi-truck almost makes it under an 11-foot overpass. Now, oh, we, are, we are 12 picture. foot 8 inches, so uh, we would definitely have been taken out by this bridge. 
A semi-truck got stuck under an overpass on Friday afternoon in Pullman, Washington. The bridge located near Sing blah, 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 was marked with an 11-foot clearance. According to reports, the driver was not familiar with the area and was following his GPS. And his GPS obviously did not have low bridges on it. Now, if you have a car GPS, you can download the POI file that has all of the bridges on it. If you buy an RV one, it already has the low bridges on it. And I was very surprised in New York when we were uh, coming in and out of the airport. We we came in from LaGuardia and left through Kennedy, so we took both routes. There were several bridges that were 11 feet. Too low for us. Too low for us, and I was surprised this was a multi-lane br- road in m- metropolitan New York. I cannot believe that, they, <laughs> that this is still a problem. And I could see me driving, I don't know, on those roads, but whoa. You definitely need to have, and and what would you do if you came up? Even you're going one way on a, you know, on a two way road on a one way road. You can avoid. You can can stop. (laughs) What would you do? I you couldn't back up anyway. So it's very important that you avoid these things, and these trip planners will help you with that as well as, of course, a good GPS with the information in it that you need as an RVer because 11 feet would preclude quite a few. I want to talk for a minute to you. We're talking about small RVs, and small RVs seem to be really the trend these days, Uh, small but expensive. Uh, The new Tiffin Breeze is one that you might want to take a look at. It's the smallest Class A pusher on the market, and I think it's similar to the Via but uh, maybe somewhat somewhat larger, but it has a uh, diesel engine, and it's a nice size, and it's a, a, a Class A, which is uh, something that you might want to consider. We also have a RV musical interlude. Would you like to sing? No, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that our listeners would put up with that. Roger Hurricane Wilson has recorded an Home Sweet Home My RV. And if you'd like to see the YouTube about that uh, and listen to a little bit of RVing homesickness uh, song, then this might be the, the song that you would like to listen to. Another article that caught our eye was about eating after we've been talking about <laughs> calories. Something I didn't really think about. To me, when we are in our RV, we eat pretty much the way we eat at home. I cook pretty much the way I cook at home. But this person points out the fact that when you are traveling you are able to take advantage of local foods of the area and certainly I know that whenever we are near the coast and can eat seafood that certainly is my choice and the fresh fruits and vegetables that are available in the southern part of the U.S. when we're there for the winter are certainly a cut above what I can get at home and so that is yet another reason to RV for Better eating in your rig. Well, I think we do eat at least as good as we do at home. And, and the person mentions about the fresh food, and that's that's a nice idea to have uh, access to fresh food. And we do travel finding the 70s, and so there's fresh fruits and vegetables available most times. Are we talking about Christmas already? Well, I'm not sure about that, but I found this. I'm now, looking at the picture of it, and I still don't understand it. <laughs> Which is often the case for many of the things that you lust after. Uh, this is a, a brand, well, I, it's new to me anyway, a Leatherman Tread, tread Bracelet. You're this, not this a jewelry looks, person. I know, but this, well, I wasn't a, a watch person either, but since my Apple Watch, I've been wearing that continuously. This is a new Leatherman tool. And if you, of course, every geeky guy knows about Leatherman tools because it's a multi-purpose tool that you hang off a little leather pouch on your belt. That's why and, it's called Leatherman? Well, no, it's the company's Leatherman. But why? Because that's the guy's name who made it. I don't know. 
<laughs> like David Leatherman. <laughs> Okay. okay, sorry. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, anyway, so they make this multi-purpose tool, and, and, you know, it's got pliers and knives and screwdrivers and wrenches and stuff. But, of course, it has to be carried as an accessory. teeny tiny if they're on your wrist. Well, well, not really. This is what's cool about this. So this is called the Leatherman Tread Bracelet, the travel-friendly, wearable, wearable multi-tool stainless steel bracelet. And this, it looks... Like a kind of a looks like an like a jewelry accessory. I don't know what to like tell. Like something a robot would wear. That's how no, it looks. No, well, it's, it's no. Well, it, I would say it's three quarters of an inch wide and it has kind of interesting patterns. And when I read and it about goes on all your wrist. the tools on it, you're going to have but one it has, bicep but, that's bigger than no, that. No, it's, it's not really that big. This it, it doesn't say what it's it weighs. Twenty. Yeah, six pounds. No. <laughs> no, it actually weighs, well, I assume it just weighs ounces, featuring 29 tools on your wrist. That's why I'm saying you need to lift weights before you wear this. Are you sure you want this for 29 tools in, on your wrist? Now, this is something you wear as jewelry, so it's always visible and always available. And it has a Phillips head, a box wrench, a screwdriver, six millimeter hex drive, a quarter inch hex drive. And nothing actually comes off of it. It doesn't look like your usual Leatherman tool that has little uh, things that flip out from the center. This is... So this is it's like a Swiss a, Army knife? It's like a Swiss Army knife, right. Those are very heavy, too. And bulky. Well, this one is fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It looks pretty cool to me. Apparently. And I could always be my Boy Scout readiness. <laughs> Next uh, uh, topic is 30 ridiculous motorhomes you'll love to see. Those are photographs, right? Photographs, You're going to put right. them on the... I'm going to put them on. And I'm also going to put up on the web some uh, some crazy uh, problems that people have had. 30 fires that that our viewers have seen. And... Oh, 30? You mean rig fires? Yeah. Oh, I don't Those know if sad. I want to see that. Yeah. Well, this this bracelet of yours is still weighing on my mind, <laughs> as well as weighing on your wrist. Um, and I'm thinking that we would like our listeners to start sending us gift suggestions for Ooh. Christmas. Cause even no, though, no, we're not giving you gifts. No. <laughs> even though it's only August as we're recording the September podcast, um, Christmas will be coming. I'm sure when we get home, all the stores will already be festooned with boughs and ornaments. Yes. And um, at the end of the year, it's always nice to talk about good Christmas gifts for our beers, things that you would like to buy or things you would like to buy for yourself. So if you have any suggestions, we we'll try to make the, that the, a the future big Christmas, topic. The big December show will be about gifts for the RVer, and we need to have uh, some suggestions that you've given us. So with that, we will bring an end to this particular episode. We will not be seeing, well, we might be seeing you in a campground near us. We will be home uh, mid-September, and that will uh, lead us to heading off to TGR campsite in florida in in november but uh for the next few days next couple weeks we will be here in the serenade of the seas someplace on the ocean somewhere between here and home when we land in boston where we will be flying back to chicago for a few weeks at home hard to believe and hopefully the weather will be nice and cool a little cooler a little cooler than when we left so uh, we will turn it back to the next month and say, Bon voyage. Bon voyage.